Welcome to today's podcast, How Your Company Can Benefit from the Safety Act. One of the greatest concerns for companies helping to combat terrorism in the United States, whether deploying a product or service or venue security program, is the extraordinarily large third-party liability they face should an act of terrorism occur. To incentivize the creation and deployment of anti-terrorism technologies and programs, Congress enacted the Support Anti-Terrorism by Fostering Effective Technologies Act, or Safety Act, in 2002, which awards critical third-party liability protections to companies who can demonstrate they deploy effective security measures. Today, in this podcast, I'll be speaking with Akmal Ali, a principal at Catalyst Partners, which supports domestic and international clients in working with the federal government and business development, with an emphasis on technology growth. Before joining Catalyst Partners, Mr. Ali served as the Deputy Director of the U.S. Department of Homeland Security's Office of Safety Act Implementation, where he helped grow the program to increase public-private partnerships, critical infrastructure resiliency, and risk management. The Catalyst team spans a range of industries and practice areas, focusing primarily on the growing and complex homeland security and defense environment. Their partners bring impressive experience from the highest levels of federal government and the top tiers of corporate America. Whether helping a business create a risk and mitigation strategy for times of disaster or navigating the complexity of the Safety Act, Catalyst Partners have an insider's perspective on what works best. Uh, Welcome, Akmal, and thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. So I'm sure a lot of people aren't as familiar as you might be with with the Safety Act. Maybe you can give us a little bit of background on, on the Act itself, what led to its passing, kind of how it came about. Yeah, sure thing. I mean, for such a powerful program, it definitely is not a household name uh, just yet. Maybe in certain industries it is, but not, you know, across the board. And um, so really the the program came to fruition as a result of the extraordinarily large liability that companies face following terrorism. Um, it, it It goes back to the 93 World Trade Center bombing. A lot of people remember what happened on that in that incident, what, but what a lot of people aren't aware of is the fact that the Port Authority of New York, New Jersey, the landlords of the World Trade Center uh, buildings were actually held more liable than the terrorists in that case, um, uh, which is a pretty jaw-dropping decision, right? Uh, how could how could an organization who were who was otherwise a victim of the attack be held more liable than the perpetrators who carried out the attack? And uh, what we used to say, what I, you know, what what we say all the time is, you can't sue a terrorist. They're either dead, they have no money or you can't access their money. But given the fact, the sheer nature of acts of terrorism, people need to recover, right, after an attack occurs. And so since you can't recover from the people who committed the attack, you know, what ends up happening is that businesses who are otherwise victims there get questioned on what they did on that day of the attack, what could they have done more. And it's really, what we always say, it's really hard to prove that you're doing the right thing right of the boom. Uh, Left of the boom, it's a whole different story. And so, in that case, some things came out following, you know, during the, the court case, and not to mention the court case took a very long time. The incident occurred in 93. It didn't get settled until 2005, and then it went, you know, through the appeals process. So that's obviously getting dragged through the, the through the press for that many years. You're paying legal fees. You're doing all this stuff. And so it's really hard to prove that you were doing the right thing right at the boom. And, and so you know, when you fast forward to 9-11, which is obviously a very, very uh, a case that deserves the utmost sensitivity when you're just, when you're talking about it. But from a legal standpoint, we saw a lot of the same things. Companies who were otherwise victims of the attack were faced with 
multi-billion dollar lawsuits because, again, you can't sue a terrorist. They're either dead, they have no money, or you can't act the money. Uh, and, you know, thousands of lives were impacted. People, lives were lost. Um, people uh, were injured. Businesses were disrupted. So you, you get the same scenario, a terrible incident, tragic. Uh, people need to recover. Uh, but who is it that you need to recover from? Businesses who are trying to do the right thing and, you know, on it, you know, as we say, on any given Sunday, something can happen and someone can be defeated. So industry basically came to Congress and said, look, we're out there trying to fight the fight. We're either producing effective technologies, producing, providing services. Uh, we're trying to protect the homeland. But when we have an attack like this, quote, unquote, getting it, quote, unquote, wrong um, can lead to a very large liability bill. And so businesses naturally kind of said, look, we're going to take ourselves out of the fight. Um, and, and by the way, there's a whole other concept out there that on days like 9-11 or the 93 World Trade Center bombing, is it an attack on that one building or is it really an attack on the nation? So there's a whole other argument saying that we're out here trying to fight on behalf of the nation. And it's, you know, so Congress responded. And in the same statute, as you mentioned, is this, in the same statute that stood up DHS, uh, the Homeland Security Act of 2002, in it is the actual Safety Act legislation. So the point there being is it's, it's been there from day one. And, and again, it's, it's, it was built in response to, as a matter of public policy, we want businesses to try to push the envelope. We want them to continue developing cutting edge technology. We want them to continue to find ways to reduce their risk and make the nation safer. And by, by offering them critical liability protection, it, it does that. It's sort of government saying, we got your back if you can, if you can demonstrate to us that you're doing the right things. Got it. And so what are some of the benefits of, of a company of going through the process and getting approved um, now that now that uh, th this is available to them? So it, it, it depends on where you are in the ecosystem. If you are a provider of a technology or a service, the, or if you're a venue operator or an organization that owns its own kind of infrastructure, but looking at the former, if you're, if you're a um, – technology manufacturer or provider or service provider, the liability protections are huge. Um, you, you are, if you're awarded Safety Act, there's multiple levels, but essentially it provides a cap on third-party liability arising out of an act of terrorism. That's the main award. There's multiple awards. I'll, I'll just focus on two of them. One is a designation. Think of that as the A in grade school. If you get a designation, you get a numerical cap on your third-party liability arising out of an act of terrorism. In other words, the government says, we really like what you've done. You're effective at what you're doing. We want to see more of your product out in the field or your service because it keeps the nation safer. To incentivize you, we're going to cap your liability. In the event that despite all the good things that you offer, an act of terrorism still occurs, we'll protect you on the back end. Uh, the certification is like uh, the A-plus in grade school. It's immunity from the same third-party uh, claims. So it's, they're both really powerful. But I kind of separated the ecosystem. Service providers and technology providers, here's an extra benefit. By way of their award, if they're awarded, they, their award provides automatic flow-down immunity to any of their customers, which is a huge market differentiator, right? So the government can't necessarily come out and say, I love product X, we gave them safety act, hey, business Y, you should buy them. They can't really go out and do that, go that far. But what Congress decided to do is by giving, granting you know, awardees that flow down coverage, it's a market differentiator. Now that company who has the award can go out into the marketplace and say, hey, as they're re responding to an RFP or if they're giving a pitch, they can say, not only do we, do we do all the things that we say we can do, DHS has kicked and poked and prodded us through the Safety Act process. 
they've deemed us effective. They've put, up, put us on their DHS Safety Act website so you can see us there, you know, and you can go check for yourself. Oh, and by the way, if something goes wrong, despite all the good things we're doing, you have immunity by way of our award. Uh, there's some limitations on that flow down. You've got to be doing what you say you're doing, of course, but that's, uh, so that's a great benefit. If you're a stadium operator, an airport, uh, you know, a casino, whatever you, you might be, um, you, liability protection still extend the same way. Uh, you get a cap on liability or you get immunity from liability, and there's a lot of things you can get coverage for. So that's a little bit of a long-winded answer, but, you know, there, there's a lot of nuance in the, in the protections. And then, of course, some companies who get this award then turn around to their brokers, their insurance brokers, and, and uh, a, you know, try to get a reduction on their annual insurance premiums because now, well, clearly they've demonstrated that they're good at what they do. They are less risk, less riskier for their broker or the underwriter. So uh, some, some of our clients have been very successful in, in obtaining that reduction in annual premium. There's a little bit, there's a little ROI there in the immediate as well. Yeah, interesting. And so t- uh, you mentioned some of the companies that this is, might be applicable to, venues and things of that nature. Um, but what, what other types of companies might be interested in going through the process and get and, and, and realizing those benefits? Well, at the risk of sounding, you know, like this is a program for everyone, it, you know, it really does touch almost the entire Homeland Security um, enterprise, the entire marketplace. I mean, if you, if you are a widget or gadget provider, whether you're a camera system, a sensor, detection equipment, new cutting-edge technology like mobile applications, emergency response uh, tools, this is a pro- you're eligible under the Safety Act. If you're, a, if you're a service provider like a company that does risk assessments for a living, maybe you, you, maybe you integrate technology. Maybe you, you don't produce the technology, but you, you integrate them and you design the system. Um, you're, you might own and operate a bomb dock, an explosive detection canine company. Um, so it, you see it's pretty w- widespread. And, of course, if you are a venue operator – or even if you have a, a system that has a big cybersecurity component to it, financial institution, uh, airports, the list goes on and on, water facilities. Uh, even, we've even represented, um, been uh, lucky to represent a lot of uh, associations who put out standards. The one, there are, across the board, though, you have to have a couple things to be eligible for Safety Act. A, you must be doing something to fight the fight the, you know, the, against terrorism here in the homeland. You don't have to be you, – you so under the statute, if you are doing something to detect, prevent, deter, and or mitigate an act of terrorism, you don't have to be doing all of those things. But if you're – let's say your system is really good at detection, or let's just say all you do is really mitigate the impact of an attack, you're eligible for safety. Like the other criterion, criterion that you need is you have to demonstrate that you actually have extraordinarily large third-party liability. But, you know, for the most part, most businesses who are – out there, whether you're producing something and you're putting it out in the marketplace or you're operating this a huge, massive public facility and people, thousands of people come in, millions over the year, you know, you, it's pretty clear you'll have that liability, but you've got to demonstrate the DHS. That's one of the criterion to be eligible for Safety Act. Got it. And so, uh, go ahead. No, well, I was going to say, I guess the, the, the third thing is you got to be actually good at what you do. I mean, that, that's a given, right? So, I used to work in the department in the Safety Act office. Um, I know what it means when you 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 know recommend to award a company Safety Act protections. I mean, we are the program is these are significant liability protections, and it comes with an awesome responsibility when you award them. So, uh, you know, the one thing I would say is, if you're a technology provider and you're listening to this, 
and you think you've got a good tech, you know good uh, product, you probably do, but you really have to demonstrate that at a level of effectiveness, a level of efficacy that you know that gives DHS comfort in knowing that if they promote this product, it's going to do what it says it's going to do. So the level of detail in your data, your effectiveness data, which is the real key term there in the Safety Act world, really matters. So, um, but it's not to say that we don't work with some clients who, when we meet them on day one, we can tell they've got a great product that you just don't have the effectiveness data. And we'll work with them over, you know, some time to make sure we can create that effectiveness data, collect it over time to demonstrate that the product does what it says it's going to do. Uh, I mean, that's true for any, if you're a cybersecurity company, if you're a big stadium, big arena, you, you've got to have that data to demonstrate that you're, um, not only do you have to be eligible, you got to be worthy, worthy of the protection. That's great. And you started to mention a little bit of it. Maybe walk us through a little bit more the, you know, what's the evaluation process in order to get approved looks like and how you help companies through that process and maybe with some, you know, examples of, of how you've helped there. I think that would be beneficial to the audience here. Absolutely. So at the end of the, at the end of the day, it's an application process, a written application that you submit online through the DHS Safety Act portal. So, you know, think about it that way. I mean, they, sometimes they do do site visits. So if it's a venue, DHS uh, will come out and, you know, walk the venue with you and you'll be able to talk to them and talk to them in person. But for the most part, these things need to be memorialized, whatever it is you do. Uh, at the 50,000-foot level, it's a 120, essentially 120 calendar day review process, which isn't terrible for the federal government, especially when you're considering what you're getting in return. So it's a, it's a really efficiently run program. The people there are really – uh, care a lot by the program. They've all been there uh, for a number of years. They've got a passion for the companies that they, they work with um, and the mission. So I, I give them a lot of credit for that. The director is my old uh, boss there, and he's, he's just all about doing the right thing and, and, you know, again, keeping companies honest and making sure they can demonstrate what they say they do. But So it's an application review process. Uh, there's milestones in the process. So if it's 120 days, at day 30, there's a a check-in that DHS comes back and tells you whether you have enough meat and potatoes in the application to warrant the government spending an additional 90 days completing its review. There'll be rounds of questions where DHS wants to know more about what you said over here or maybe uh, further articulate a point you made over there in the application. Uh, But application, I, I would essentially, no matter if it's a technology, a service, or you know, an arena security program, it, an application is really broken out in two sections. It's more than two sections, right, but just at a high level. Tell us what you do and how you do it and prove to me that it's effective. Whatever you're doing is effective at combating terrorism. And a lot of times you can't prove – you can't – you either don't have data that shows, hey, I've actually stopped a terrorist before, or – and you, you – know, conversely, you can't use data that says, well, I've never had an act of terrorism occur at my venue, so I must be good at – stopping terrorism, right? So I wish it was that easy, but it's not. So you've got to pull out a whole lot of other information. So, you know, when, when companies hire us and uh, to go through the process, not only – they're not just hiring us to write an application, which we do, of course. That's our process. It all culminate in an application that we'll write. But it, a lot of the work is way before that. So taking a look at what they're doing, identifying where their strengths are from the lens of DHS, and then identifying where they need to, you know, do some more push-ups. And again, these are probably, you know, 99% of the time, it's already really awesome technology or a really awesome service. And it's just a matter of collecting the data in the way that demonstrates the DHS you're doing, you know, the things that you should be doing. So um, if, it's in a, if it's a stadium, for example, a water facility uh, site, an airport, 
you know, when we get brought on, we right away want to know what are your policies and procedures. If it's not memorialized, they don't exist. If it's in someone's head, it's not worth that much to DHS. They want to see that, you know, you've got a repeatable process that you can retrain somebody, and God forbid the awesome, you know, vice president of security gets hit by the cold beer truck, you know, so to speak, as they say, how can you continue the next day? So it's just as much as business continuity uh, and continuing operations as it is, you know, training and, and being able to demonstrate you've got a good plan in the first place. So we'll come in and evaluate their security posture, evaluate their use of technology, make recommendations. Hey, you know, maybe do some more push-ups over here. Can we integrate a technology to do this over there? And the cool thing about it is most of our clients, you know, those who are thinking about Safety Act are already thinking above and beyond, right? So we're, we generally, you know, naturally kind of get those companies who are already thinking above and beyond because, you know, to, to warrant safety act, you can't just be doing run-of-the-mill. Run this is not for companies who are just eking by. Uh, it's for companies who really want to push the envelope. And that's the way, from a public policy standpoint, you know, you don't want to extend these really important liability protections to just any company. you got to be worth it. So we'll either get a company who already is pushing the envelope, and that's great, or we got a company who maybe has been squeaking by and wants to get better, and that's great too. And the process really allows for that. I think that's the one thing that a lot of owners of companies or CEOs of companies after they go to the Safety Act process say one thing in common. They say, we've gotten better as a result. Um, so we'll go through the process and, you know, we'll actually help them write their policies and procedures or enhance their program. If they are a widget provider, it's all about how they manufacture the technology, how do they have quality control in the manufacturing process, how do they, what is their deployment process like, how do they interact with their clients, uh, to train them on using the, you know, it's one thing to have a really cool tech, you know, it's like having a really cool Ferrari that's stick shift and the person doesn't know how to drive stick shift. And think about it the same way. If you've got a really cool, you know, detection equipment that does all these awesome things, but you deliver it to a client who doesn't know how to use it right, then it's not as effective. So that's another thing DHS looks at. So we'll, we'll, we'll actually delve into, you know, well, how are you training your, your, uh, your clients? What is the ongoing maintenance of the equipment that you do? You know, they look at those things. So it really, depending on what you're submitting, like when we represent explosive detection canine teams like bomb dog companies, it's a whole other set of things that DHS is looking at. And obviously over time, both in my time at the department and outside, you know, we've, come, we've become pretty learned in all of these different buckets of areas. But ultimately, DHS is trying to figure out how you do what you do and prove that it's effective. And, and that's their kind of mission when they're reviewing an application. Got it. And, and I, it sort of – you can see how it applies to – um, the venue um, company or even the metal detector company that's supplying the, those, that equipment to the venue, does this also expand to, like, more service-oriented companies like guard patrol companies and things of that nature? Is, is, is that outside the scope or is there applicability there as well? No, it's right right in the wheelhouse, absolutely. I mean, when I was still when I was in the department when we started – we came to the conclusion that a widget is only, you know, a metal detector is only as good as the company that operates it, and it's typically going to be a third-party guard company, right? You know, some businesses have their own proprietary staff, but there are a lot of business service providers who provide guards, security officers, and um, DHS has a great interest in getting involved with those companies because that's where, you know, the, it's the human element where I think we might have some great – um, variation in performance. And so the more DHS, you know, I look at the program as, you know, 
soft regulation. You know, you don't have to do the Safety Act program. No company has to apply for it. It's there if you want it. And if you want it, you got to do the right things. And so that's a great, you know, people say, well, liability protections for these companies, that's a, that's a, that's giving them a lot. Well, when you look at what the nation gets back in, in, in return, it, 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 it definitely, um, has its own, it, it, it definitely has its worth and its value because we're, DHS has an opportunity to really make these companies improve on their, pro, their processes. So for a, for a security officer, um, vendor, uh, company, you know, what, how are they hiring these people? That's one of the questions DHS will ask. What is the background screening process to not only make sure that somebody's, you know, a good candidate for the job, but also that they're not a bad person, you know, who might be an insider threat. Um, that's a big, that's a big issue that a lot of businesses are dealing with. And it, and it just runs across the entire sort of, um, you know, the company's profile. What, what are you doing for, ter- uh, training? For these guards, but specifically, what's your anti-terrorism training? It's not enough anymore to say, see something, say something, right? You got to do more than that. What's the history of terrorism? What do past terrorist attacks look like? What's their motives? You know, we really want, DHS really wants to see what they're doing. And then, of course, what's the QA? Once your guards are out in the field, what does that company do to conduct auditing or quality assurance to make sure that the guards, I mean, it's human nature, right? People get tired. Maybe people forget stuff. You've got a bad day. But in the Homeland Security fight, a bad day from one person could mean the difference between an attack being successful or, or being prevented. So, yeah, but definitely uh, those types of services are right in the wheelhouse of what Safety Act's doing. And a number of businesses, have, those types of businesses have gotten coverage. And if, and if anyone's ever interested, you can go to safetyact.gov, uh, it's a DHS website, and they publicly list most of the companies that get awarded, like 99 98% of the companies that get awarded are listed there with a non-proprietary description. So, you know, if you're a vendor, if you're a venue operator, you're looking to retain services from a guard company who has Safety Act because, A, you, you like the fact that they've proven to them to DHS that they do what they say they can do. And, by the way, as we mentioned earlier, that flow-down coverage, that's really powerful. You can go to the Safety Act website and just Google a search, word term search and uh, find the companies listed there, which is a great feature. Yeah, and I'm thinking, you know, as you're describing things, like even if ultimately certification is not necessarily applicable to you um, in your company, it's almost like going through, you still get some benefits. Like it's almost like going through a pretty in-depth uh, assessment uh, by going through the process and you, you get better by doing that, uh, even if it, it ultimately the goal is not to get the, the coverage or certification. Uh, I'm thinking of like schools and universities as an example. A hundred percent. I mean, really, a lot, of, a lot, a lot of the companies who go through it say, "Hey, the Safety Act is a litmus test for me. Where am I against the gold standard?" And the cool thing about the Safety Act is it's it's not just an, an attaboy with a pat on your back. It's a tremendously powerful, you know, um, benefit with the with the liability protection. But you know, yes, you know, I think. You, you, there's other benefits, like you are finding out what the standard is. You are you are going to make your company better as a result going through the process. I, I, I rarely, you know, we've got the great fortune of working with a lot of awesome companies, both you know Fortune 50, all the way down to your mom and pop entrepreneurs who are innovating in their garage, and it's really rewarding. But the one thing is true: no one's ready on day one. Oh, it's an esoteric program. There's things that they're looking for from a different lens than you might be looking for. That's okay, uh, but you can work towards getting to that place. And we've got a, we, we we get a lot of um, 
you know, we feel very lucky to be able to help companies go and do that because ultimately what we end up with is a, a, a product that was either a product or service was, that was already pretty good that's now even better, and, and that, that means a safer, you know, environment for people in the homeland. Okay, uh, Akma, before we wrap up, if some one of our uh, listeners today is, is interested in in, uh, in taking the next step, what's, what where do they turn to? What's the first step they should do? I think, you know, um, that's a great question. I, I think the first step is to identify what it is you want to see coverage for. If you're a company with multiple lines of services or multiple lines of products, you know, you got to be – you got to be careful in trying to put too much into one application. So I would say find your really your your bread and butter. What are you really really good at or what is it that you think exposes the company to the most potential risk and liability if you deploy it and something should happen? If you're uh, a venue operator, critical critical infrastructure operator, you know, define your security program. That would be step 1. Try to think really hard, long and hard about what what it is you want to see coverage for. Again, you could have an application that has multiple product lines in it, but that, that shouldn't be your first step. Your first step should be, what is my bread and butter? What can I demonstrate is actually effective? And then um, start there. Uh, I would say, obviously, a company like mine, what we do is help companies through the process, but I will, I will encourage you, reach out to the Safety Act office. They're very forward-leaning. Uh, one of the best... Um, one of the best government programs as it relates to customer service. I mean, it's unlike any other government program because they are very forward-leaning. I mean, they will keep companies honest, and they cannot engage with companies who are not serious about putting their money where, you know, and investing in having a good technology, but they are very customer service-oriented, and uh, I think that's what's made them very successful. Uh, and if you're looking to ask, you know, get into the process a little bit more, sure, you can. there's all sorts of literature online, companies like mine that you can talk to. Uh, but I think step one would be figure out what you what your bread and, bread and butter is. What is it the thing that you can provide that either detects, prevents, deters, and or mitigates an act of terrorism? Start there. Define your thing and then uh, take the next step. Great. Well, thank you for joining us today, Akmal. Uh, Help shed some light on a, a fantastic program that's available to companies. Um, and I appreciate you joining the podcast today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.